Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's Front Page Radio, and I'm speaking to you from North Wales in the United Kingdom. And I am delighted to have as my special guest, Andrew Wooding, my older son. Andrew, welcome to Front Page Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Now, some years ago, we as a family emigrated to the United States. In fact, it was August the 28th, 1982, we got on a plane to um, Southern California and I started a job with Brother Andrew's Ministry Open Doors being involved in their media work. And um, one of the things that happened was that Andrew got a little job as a editor, really, for somebody very well known. Tell us about who that lady was. I believe she was Dutch. Oh, uh, Corrie Ten Boom, um, the uh, star of The Hiding Place, the book and the movie. Um, I was working for uh, a Christian um, media company, and what they would do is they would produce magazines, radio shows, TV shows, or write fundraising letters for different ministries. And one of the magazines we published was a magazine for the supporters and donors of Corrie Ten Boom. And I worked in the editorial department, so amongst my many jobs was um, Corrie Ten Boom. And I was paid extra, a uh, very sad time when she died, but at the same time, uh, we had one weekend to produce a special magazine commemorating her life. So I think I got paid overtime or extra money just to come in for the weekend and at top speed help produce that magazine. And what was so amazing was that um, Andrew helped to arrange for me and Norma, my wife, to go to the uh, the funeral. And uh, that was the first time I ever met Pastor Chuck Smith, who was there with Kay, his wife. Eventually, Andrew, you moved back to Britain to join a group called Youth with a Mission. How did that all come about? Well, I, I was 18. Uh, you mentioned moving to America. I was 18 when we moved, and um, although I'd grown up in a Christian house, uh, your dad, my granddad, and grandparents were missionaries, and although uh, we went to Baptist Sunday School and you wrote Christian books, of which I got pocket money, I got extra money as a child, helping to uh, type up the books or transcribe the interviews, and I used to spend it on records. (laughs) (laughs) But um, finally, I, I gave in and became a Christian at 18. And it coincided with the first month I was in America. So for two years, I was wondering what to do. And I felt called to do some training. And, and the, the uh, it was Youth with a Mission was the organization I did training with. And I came back to England and did a discipleship training school in the south of England with them. Now, you did something rather naughty. You kept a diary <laughs> of your time with Youth with a Mission. And... Um, you also, I believe, we were in Denmark as well. I was in Denmark, so I, I did training uh, for a few months in England, two months in Copenhagen, and about nine months in—I uh, can never pronounce it right. It's spelt Randers, 
but I think it's pronounced Ran Ran. No, I, I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> it's pron- it's spelt Randers in the north of um, Denmark. And, right. um, and again, um, although I trained to be a missionary with the aim of becoming an evangelist, in the north of Denmark, the job was to help put together an international uh, festival for missionaries. So I ended up um, being given the job of of putting together the program book in four separate languages, three of which I couldn't speak, <laughs> but I managed to do it. So, <laughs> Well, then I get this uh, rather panic-stricken phone call from Andrew saying that he'd actually kept this secret diary and uh, had written a book about those times with YWAM, the good and the bad. And some of the uh, leadership in Britain were not very appreciative of a book that really wasn't meant to be. I mean, what was the book meant to be, Andrew? And I think I've told you this before, but because I grew up in a Christian house, you had loads of Christian testimony books and missionary books. People like C.T. Studd, uh, Through Gates of Splendor, Crossing the Switchblade, books like that. Um, and I, I'd sort of dip into them, and they felt unachievable. They, these were sort of like Christian superheroes, and, and I didn't feel I could be one of those. So I kept a diary, and then I sort of read bits to people I was studying with, and they liked it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll sort of edit this and turn it into a book, because what it was, it wasn't a dramatic testimony. It wasn't um, someone who'd been a horrible drug addict and um, had suddenly become super Christian. Um, I was just, I, I, I went in as an insecure Christian and came out an insecure Christian, but God still used me. And so I just wanted to make it seem a lot more, um, if God can use me, he can use anyone. Well, what was so? What was the the panic really was that um, it was a very human book. It was a book of of humour. Andrew doesn't hold back on some of the situations he was facing himself. And um, when they read it, they didn't like it. And Andrew told me this. And I just so happened to be going to Hawaii for the twenty fifth anniversary of Youth with a Mission. Brother Andrew was going to be one of the main speakers. But uh, I was able to sit down with Lorne Cunningham, the founder of um, YWAM, and I said to him, if you would like this interview to go well, <laughs> would you please um, uh, interf- you know, interface with your people there in Britain because they're trying to stop my son's book? And he said, that sounds like blackmail. And I said, well, it is, but it's very unfair, I think, what's happening. And so he said, okay, let me read the manuscript and let my sister read it, Janny Rogers, because Janny is an Anglophile, loves everything British, loves British humor. And so what happened was they read it and loved it, and he agreed to write the foreword. So now came, we got a publisher, and now there was a need for a title for the book. And I think this is the most bizarre title I've ever heard. <laughs> there was an editor there called Rachel. Uh, we were desperate for a title. It was published by Kingsway Books in England and Crossway Books in the United States. And just couldn't think of a title. And But the editor, Rachel, she, she read a phrase in the book. Um, I need to explain that I got nervous doing open-air evangelism and door-to-door evangelism and a lot of work. It was quite nerve-wracking in London. We we did some open-airs in Brighton and we get heckled by everyone. 
And um, so to keep me going, I just eat lots of chocolate. <laughs> and uh, and people were noticing I was eating chocolate to calm my nerves. And um, and I said, I wonder if chocolate kills brain cells. <laughs> and that was in the book. And um, when when Rachel phoned me up and said, oh, we've got the perfect title for your book. Are you ready? And I sat down and she said, I wonder if chocolate kills brain cells. I thought they were playing a practical joke on me. <laughs> but it, it was perfect because... Um, what the front cover of both the English and the American version, um, the American version, it looked like a Hershey bar, and the British version looked like, um, we call it Cadbury's chocolate. And um, the fact that it had chocolate on the cover helped it sell. So, uh, <laughs> so it works out for the best in the end. I even got in the Christian top ten. Well, that's wonderful. And Lorne Cunningham did write the foreword for it. And I believe that quite a few people joined YWAM because of it. Well, it was exactly what I, what I wanted. People read it and thought, well, I'm nothing special. But if God can use people who aren't very special to be missionaries, I want to do it. I, I think I must have bumped into a few dozen people. I, I remember being in, um, I spent a month with YWAM in Amsterdam. Um, and I, I, I went with some friends to the, the annual flower festival in Amsterdam, and we got the coach back into the town centre, and there was a there was a very strange girl at the back of the coach playing harmonica and sort of making a terrible racket. <laughs> so I just got chatting to her and um, with with my friends, and um, we, we mentioned we were from Youth with a Mission, and she she said, "Oh, you're from Youth with a Mission. I've, I've been meaning to come in and see you." I've I've read this book called I Wonder If Chocolate Kills Brain Cells and I was wondering if I could somehow meet the author. So we strung her along a bit and, uh, and we said, oh, yeah, we know the author. He's a terrible person. And, and then and then I admitted it was me. But that was such an encouragement um, that, that God had... I, it must have been a God incident that God had worked out that um, I was in the right place or we, we were all in the right place when this girl was thinking of becoming a missionary herself. Well, then you go to an English Bible college, and we won't mention the name of it, but <laughs> you also kept a secret diary and wrote that up. Tell us about what happened. Well, by then, um, I wonder if Chocolate Kills Brain Cells had already come out. And I just want to make it clear, in, in, in the book about YWAM and the book about the Bible college, I never said anything bad uh, about either of them, deliberately. Um, if, if I said anything bad about anyone, it was myself. Um, so I, I just kept a diary at the Bible school and thought if if it's as good as the other one, I'll I'll publish it. Uh, I'll, I'll get it published, and I edit it down. And lo and behold, the publisher accepted it. So we had a similar situation. They had to send it to the Bible school to get it accepted, and um, they said, "Oh no, 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 we can't do this." It's um, again, it, it was felt to be too flippant or not serious enough, which wasn't the aim. Um, I, I wanted people to see um, that that going to Bible school can be fun and actually life changing. So, um, so the the publisher said to me, "It's okay. We'll still publish it. Just change all the names." So, <laughs> so I did, um, and it got published. And um, what was lovely is the principal of the Bible college. Um, I bumped into him at a train station about three or four years later and introduced myself and he said oh hello Andrew you're you're the one who wrote that funny book <laughs> so I sort of that, I thought that was really nice so so maybe privately they liked it but publicly they weren't allowed to uh, say so well then you got very much involved into children's humor 
Uh, first of all, tell us about your little career in the in the British comics. Yeah, the, well, that 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 was before we moved to America. I I, um, I left school at sixteen, and um, to make ends meet, I worked in a shop uh, that sold paint and light bulbs and <laughs> uh, electric kettles and um, sort of an, a, a general electrical type of store. And um, one one of the items we had in there was um, a special machine where if you mixed different colours of paint together, um, they would make a certain colour. So someone would come in and say, can I have three tins of paint of this colour? And I'd have to mix them. And I was the only person in the shop who, when when I did it, the three cans of paint would be completely different colours. I just <laughs> just couldn't get it right. So... Uh, I somehow got away with it, but they they had um, a comic shop next door, and I, I sort of when no one was in, I'd secretly read these comics, and I thought, well, I can I can write these, so um, I, I wrote some scripts. I can't draw. My name's Andrew Wooding, and someone once pointed out to me that an anagram of Andrew Wooding is we do no drawing, <laughs> which is absolutely true. But I can I can write the words that happen in the speech bubble, so I did that. And um, then I got a phone call from a company in Scotland that do the, the two most popular children's comics in Britain, the Beano and the Dandy. And they said, we're coming down to London. Would you like to meet us? So I said, OK. And I went to London, a bit nervous. And they said, we like what you've written. We'd like you to write more for us. And they said, you're the first person in two years that sent us scripts out of the blue that we haven't thrown in the bin straight away. So really encouraged by that and and but what happened um after a year of writing for them i became a christian and made the terrible mistake of thinking well that's it then god doesn't want me to write comics anymore he wants me to do something serious like bible college or becoming a missionary so you eventually get over this and you write your first Christian comedy book. What was it called and tell us about it. It was called Oodles of Poodles <laughs> and it was about a detective who just happens to be a poodle. <laughs> Talking poodle. And and I wrote two more books. Uh, the Great Baked Bean Scheme uh, which was set in Loch Ness uh, in Scotland and I wrote The Lift That Went Loony and in America it would be The Elevator That Went Loony, loony. So. Yeah. <laughs> and did you use the same characters in each one? Yeah it was a series um, what, what was really weird is I work for Church Army now in their research department we do research into what God's doing in the church and um, try and get statistics and prove that evangelism is worth bishops paying for um, and that the, the, it helps that the church pays for youth workers, and we provide the statistics to back that up. We have an, a, a new person started working for us a year ago. I wasn't there, but someone got chatting to him and said, oh, you know Andrew that you work with wrote these books, he wrote Oodles of Poodles. <laughs> and he said, no way. And it turns out uh, that when um, he was younger, his parents used to read it to him as a bedtime story. Dear, so, yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've had quite a few people um, have written to me or found me on Facebook or emailed me saying that book really helped, those books really helped them. In fact, one guy, uh, it was literally just two months ago, messaged me on Facebook and said he's still got perfect condition copies of the three books and they completely changed his Christian life. So... Uh, so all I want to do is make people laugh, but I'm glad that that happened as well. Why why is humour not used so much within the church these days? 
I think it's getting an awful lot better. Um, I think, and I don't want to judge, but some Christians maybe think that if you mix up humour with the gospel message, it's cheapening the gospel message. Um, now, I don't think it does. And if I thought it did, I wouldn't do it. Um, but I guess we, we all have different standards, don't we? Mm. So you did the, the trilogy, the, the three books there, and then what was the next project after that? Oh, that was, it was, came out of the blue. We've got a children's publisher in Britain called Ladybird, and they do very small, um, short, illustrated books. I think the Amer- American equivalent would be the Dr. Zeus books or the Gold Key books. Um, not many words, but lots of um, illustrations. And um, there's a comic character in Britain called Desperate Dan. And nothing to do with you. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a Wild West hero. Um, and Ladybird Books had got the license to do short stories of Desperate Dan. And it was really weird. They'd already commissioned the pictures, but they didn't have anyone to write the words to go with the pictures. So they found my name um, on the file and contacted me, and I had a week to do the job. So I wrote two short storybooks in a week. And um, what was lovely, uh, even though my name wasn't on the books, because they were licensed characters, um, there were cassette versions of the books. And the person who read the cassettes... If anyone in the States has seen Blackadder, the comedy on PBS, um, the person who read my my stories on cassette was Tony Robinson, who played this uh, really s- stupid character called Baldrick in Blackadder. So it was a real honour to have a famous person <laughs> read my books. Now, one thing that is interesting, many of you may have heard the interview where my son Peter turned the tables on me and interviewed me a couple of weeks back uh, but we're both journalists and we're not sort of creative writers where Andrew is totally different he's able to uh, really produce these amazing characters and bring them to life tell us the big difference in your opinion between what Peter and myself do does and and your work well I think your background was in uh, newspaper journalism which meant you had to write fast and furious. And um, this was in your, when you did it, it was the days before computer layouts. And you just had to churn out lots and lots and lots of, they call it column inches, didn't mm. they? And they just snip them to make it the right length. Now, I couldn't do that. I agonize over every sentence. So I'm a very slow writer. So I'd, I'd be terrible at doing that. And also what, what you and Peter do, my, my brother, is you're very good at taking an interview and turning it into a story and you know exactly when to slot in the relevant bits. My problem is I'd keep want, wanting to add jokes <laughs> or um, make, make things up. So I had the same problem when I studied with Church Army. I was, uh, I'd said I'd left school at 16, so I was very late to doing academic work. So I think I was about late 30s, early 40s, when I finally for three years had to write essays or academic assignments, and I had the same problem. I just kept adding jokes <laughs> and uh, <laughs> playing around with the text, which is not what you're supposed to do, but um, somehow I managed to get through the course and graduate. But um, I think the people who marked my assignments despaired of me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what advice would you give to someone who 
wants to write, yeah. feels maybe they don't want to do journalistic work, but they'd like to do your type of work. Yeah. What advice could you give them? One piece of advice is just keep writing. Because I've got a son and he takes up a lot of my time, but it's worth every second and I wouldn't change it for a moment. Because I work full time and I, I, I bring up my son, there's less time left for writing. Um, but he's 16 now and I'm sort of coming to the, the phase in life where I can sort of bring the writing back in. But I'd say just never stop writing. It's all good experience. Things have changed since when I started in the early 80s in that a lot of people self-publish now. And we used to call it something really derogatory in the old days called vanity publishing. Um, but now it's perfectly acceptable to self-publish. Uh, one of my, uh, the same friend of mine who works at Church Army who had, who had my books read to him to get him to sleep just published his first book and only printed 100 copies and that's perfectly fine. Um, mm. So don't be afraid to self-publish. And I think as well, and my son's got this as well, we're, we're both daydreamers. So we're both always creating characters and worlds and situations in our heads. I find it hard to switch off, but when, you, using the imagination. When when you do a novel, do you sort of storybook it? You know, you sort yeah. of, you draw it all out, you do bits of background on each character or what? Yeah, I, I, I did one book. Um, I, I never finished it, unfortunately, but I did one book that I knew um, was going to be, like in a, a play, can have three acts. I knew this book was going to have um, seven acts, and I, I just I didn't plan them out meticulously because I wanted to let them breathe. But I wrote down what I wanted in each of the seven different sections of the book. Um, the one I'm writing at the moment um, it's taken me a year so far, so I need to speed up. Um, has about four acts, and I know exactly how it's going to finish, but I don't know how it's going to get from the beginning to the end of each act. And that's the fun of the writing. It sort of emerges when you're writing it. I have a great admiration for people like Andrew that can write fiction. I've recently released my second only fiction book. I've written probably 35 books now, but they've all been nonfiction except one I did on the life of Jesus through the eyes of his mother Mary. <laughs> and of course this uh, time of year that's we're very focused on that, but it, I found it very difficult to actually do it. I had to read all the scriptures and then <laughs> imagine a lot of what was happening. Um, would you say that, in your opinion, fiction is more powerful? No, I think both are powerful, um, and especially in the days of social media. Um, it's the headlines, the news headlines, and people's thoughts and the blogs um, that that are influencing people. I, 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 this is the first few years where we see that Twitter is winning elections for people, um, and fiction takes a bit more to read. It takes a bit more of attention span. Um, so I, I, a lot of my creativity now is um, spent on just writing silly fake Facebook posts <laughs> and seeing and seeing who knows my sense of humor and who doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say equally, I would say if you read, a, if you take the time to read a book of fiction, then it will stay with you a long time because you've invested in it. And these characters have lived in your head, but it takes time. But journalists and the headline writers are equally, if not more so, influential because of the place of social media now. 
So if somebody's listening to this, Andrew, and we're talking to my son, Andrew Wooding, where do they go to find your books? And, and maybe give us the titles once again. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, not, none of them are in print at the moment, but I sometimes Google myself. It sounds a bit vain, but it's not. Mm. Um, I sometimes Google myself or eBay myself or Amazon myself, which is, um, I think lots of people do this. I type my name into search engines. And the books are still available on Amazon in second-hand dealers. They often end up on eBay. So um, the first two books, the uh, YWAM book is I Wonder If Chocolate Kills Brain Cells. Uh, the rarest book is Educating Andrew, which is about Bible school. It, it's based on, uh, there was a play and a film with Michael Caine called Educating Rita, and there was a radio series in Britain called Educating Archie. <laughs> so I thought I'd call it Educating Andrew. <laughs> the three children's books are Oodles of Poodles, um, The Great Baked Bean Scheme, and The Lift That Went Loony. And then I self-published a book a few years ago called The Big Wow. And maybe this time next year I'll finally finish my next one, which I'll also self-publish. And it's about mysterious old people walking dogs in the woods. <laughs> and it's called Dog Walkers. Although the title might change by then, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this interview with Andrew. He is a extremely creative person, a very wonderful dad. His son... Uh, Edward is huge. He's well <laughs> over six foot tall. But uh, Andrew is now pouring a lot of his creative talents into Edward. So, Andrew, thank you so much for all that you've been doing. And I ask everyone to pray for Andrew as he continues with his work as a writer. Yeah, and also Google, um, people should Google your book, Mary because I helped to edit it, I proofread it and edited it, and instead of getting money for records, uh, you bought me a new laptop. So, uh, <laughs> so Google Mary by Dan Wooding as well. And the full title is Mary, My Story from Bethlehem to Calvary. Andrew, again, a big thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station. 